From Tobacco Republic in Loomis, California, the Loomis Cigar Cartel presents Beyond the Humidor, a cigar podcast for the rest of us. Oh, wow. It is good to be back. I'm Scott Robinson with you here on our latest episode of Beyond the Humidor. I know there's been a stretch between episodes. Um, probably, what is it, been about three, four months, Greg? Probably about four months, yeah. About, about four months. We wanted to do some retooling, take a step back, and, um, you know, give some thoughts on, you know, putting out the show, making some improvements and doing a little bit of retooling. So we're back at it and it's good to be back. So, you know, let's just, um, you know, kind of get into it. Greg, how you doing? You know, I'm doing really well this morning. Got coffee, got a cigar, good company. It's a good day getting uh, back into the swing of, of the podcast again. And, and I'm glad we're back. I'm really missed doing this. It was, a, it's always so much fun. Exactly. So do I. And we, you know, we're really looking forward to putting out some new episodes. We're going to be making um, a few um, minor changes and, um, you know, giving you some new content, some new methods to put out said content and, you know, a couple of segments that we think um, everyone will enjoy from the new cigar smoker onto our more experienced and seasoned aficionados. And I'm going to give away your rib secret on air. <laughs> you don't know the rib secret quite yet. <laughs> you only know part of it. You think I gave you the whole thing? <laughs> One never knows, grasshopper. <laughs> yeah, so, you know... Between these, you know, with our hiatus, I've been doing a lot of cooking. So, you know, I, and I gave Greg part of my rib rub recipe. He thinks he knows all of it. He does not. I know enough to make damn good ribs, and that's all that counts. <laughs> the one thing I have to learn, though, is your biscuit recipe. But I know you're going to take that to your grave. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. No one gets that. <laughs> So anyway, segue here, rather awkward, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, one of the new features as Scott was talking about, we want to bring you once a month, a cigar that we're going to feature for an episode. And why not start this month? As you guys know, from listening to our previous recordings, I like to take my rifle for a walk in the woods, you know, romantic dinner, glass of wine, never see a deer, never see a bear, never shoot one, never bring meat home. But nonetheless, so I figured, you know, hey, it's a great idea. Why don't we feature as our Cigar of the Month for November 2020, the Oscar Valadares Wild Hunter. It comes in both a Maduro and a Natural, and it's a great cigar. So let me uh, snip it, you guys, real fast here. The Oscar Valadares Wild Hunter is a medium to full-bodied cigar hand-rolled in Honduras. It's a Honduran Puro which rustic natural wrapper, and it's excellent example of what Honduran tobacco is all about. The Oscar Valadares Wild Hunter has earthy, woodsy flavors with notes of pepper. Now, that is one of the tasting notes from an app that we use here in the lounge and, and, and our personal called Cigar Scanner. It's very helpful. Now, I don't know about you, Scott. Um, you know, you and I had differing opinions when we smoked these before the show a couple days ago, you had and I had differing opinions on the natural. So, you know, I think we should get in a little bit into the weeds on that. You know, honestly, um, I know I told you yesterday when I finally, because you wouldn't shut up about it, um, tried the Wild Hunter and I tried the natural and it didn't really do much for me. Honestly, I didn't think it would be a cigar that would fit into my wheelhouse. But this morning I decided to pick up the Maduro and um, sample that. And you know what? 
Um, so far, I am getting some wonderful notes off this cigar. I'm getting more spice. I'm getting, um, you know, the woodsiness. Um, it's more of a cedar or maybe saddlewood. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm really getting some really wonderful notes from um, this particular cigar compared to the natural. So I'm thinking it was just a matter of flavor profile. And that's a message to everybody. You know, if you find a cigar that you want to try and if it's not quite in your wheelhouse, do a little variance on it. See if they have, you know, a different one. So if you're smoking a Maduro, for instance, and it's just not working for you, you know, step down to the Connecticut or the um, Corojo, um, whatever's available, because you're going to find out that it's going to be based on your flavor profile, what you can take, your mood. And we talked about this yesterday about, you know, different things affect your tasting of the cigar. I, I, I absolutely agree. You know, um, it harkens back to a story that may or may not have been told before. Um, one of the guys that used to be an employee at Tobacco Republic would base his cigar recommendations for you off of what you had to drink and what you had to eat before the smoke. Um, you know, we talked about it yesterday on a, on a little practice run that we did, and that entirely affects how you enjoy that cigar because whatever um, tastes and flavors are still in your mouth and still on your palate and also in the nasal cavity will change the tone, the nature, the the hints that you get off that cigar. You know, you'll miss the subtleties sometimes and you'll get intensities in other things. And it, it, it just makes for an interesting experience, I think. I agree with that. And as you, if anyone's happened to look at the video that we're running right now, and I have a look on my face, I was attempting to do somewhat of a retro hail um, to get more taste out of it. And I was getting some interesting notes where, and it's hard to describe. And remember, all of this is relative. So if you smoke cigar and you don't get the notes that I'm telling you or Greg's telling you or anybody's telling you, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just a matter of what you taste and what's in your head. I mean, and I'm going <laughs> to, when I did the retro hail, it was like a grassy knoll, if you will. I mean, as oh, weird, we're going there again, as weird as that sounds and all you conspiracy theorists, theorists sit down. I don't mean that grassy knoll, <laughs> but it was, it, it gave me a sense of, now I'm going to sound like a damn detergent commercial, like being in a field. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, outdoor nature. There you go. Being, I mean, being in nature in in the in the field. For lack, I of, get it. For a lack of a better word, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the Maduro. So, trust me, folks. I haven't tried to retrohale. I'm still trying to figure that out. And uh, and if you want to hear a bunch of coughing, you know, I can go ahead and try. But um, the natural reminds me very much of camping in the woods. It's got a cedar smell to it. So does the, every time I get a waft of, of his, it's the same thing. And the smoke that comes off the cigar, very woodsy, very earthy. I get those tones that they talk about in the, in the snippet that we read for you. But it also, there's a little campfire note to it. You know, that piney burn smell that you get. And it, it you know, some people that might be a turnoff. For me, it's very pleasant. It's a, a truly a great cigar. Now, one of the things that that we mentioned in that snippet we read, I think we should probably discuss for the new folks, is what is a Puro? And a Puro happens to be the wrapper, the binder, and the filler are all the same country of origin or all the same leaf. In this case, 
It's all hunter and tobacco. Wrapper, and, binder, and filler. You know, I'm glad you, um, you know, gave the definition of that because you were looking at me when you said Puro, and I'm like... I know, I was hoping to set it up, and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't know it was going to be a pop quiz today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the hell, man? You got to warn me on these kinds of things. And then when you said it, it's kind of like that, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, but this is like straight Honduran, wrapper binder filler. Um, you know, normally I go for um, Nicaraguan. Yes. You know, I, I, you know the Illusion, um, the which, oh, man, that, that is something special. But I don't want to get off the beaten track. I want to, you know, pay attention to our Cigar of the Month. We'll have an Illusion for the Cigar of the Month very, very soon, let me assure you. Absolutely. But this one, you know what? My entire attitude changed about the Wild Hunter because, you know, when I did the natural, it's kind of like, eh, I mean, it's not the worst cigar I had and it's not a bad cigar. It was just one of those where it's just kind of like, you know, if I wanted something to smoke, it's not something I would look to. But after smoking a Maduro, you know, I could take this as a go-to. Mm-hmm. I, I think that really does make all the difference is, you know, you're a little bit more, I'm more medium to full, you're more on the the closer side to full typically in your palate. So right. it does it does in that instance change it. And you know, your choice in tobacco makes a difference um of what you like. And, you know, the Wild Hunter to me, aside from the fact that the box is camo and the label's camo and it's blaze freaking orange. Um, it really has nothing to do with the fact that I truly do enjoy Oscar Valadares' cigars. He makes a great product you know, he, he not only makes his line, including when this one came out, which was 2019 uh, for IPCPR, there was this one, the Wild Hunter, in both the Natural and the Maduro, and then there was the Superfly, which I know you thoroughly enjoy, the Maduro. Oh, most definitely. Um, but he also makes cigars. He's the master blender for Island Jim. He's also um, started the business with Rocky Patel. And that's a story that you'll have to wait for him to tell you when we get him on the program. But uh, he actually did start for Rocky Patel, and now he is uh, running his own company. So it's pretty fantastic when you think about that. Yeah, it absolutely is. So we're going to continue to smoke this and want to get into what we want to talk about today. And um, today we want to talk about an article that was in Cigar Aficionado entitled The 10 Things Every Cigar Smoker Should Know. Now... now if you guys want to check out this article, there is a link to it on our webpage, LumisCigarCartel.com, under the Cigars 101 section. Anyway, <laughs> so when I first, you know, heard and started reading this thing, I kind of, honestly, I kind of poo-pooed it because I'm just like, yeah, what do you have to tell me? What, what exactly am I expected to know? And I was pleasantly surprised. I'm happy I gave it a chance. Because it talked about 10 interesting points about cigars that you may or may not know or that you just haven't given a lot of thought to. You know, so we want to just sit back and talk about the 10 points. If you so happen to be in front of a computer or with your phone and you want to pull out the article, go over to LumisCigarCartel.com and it will be there'll be a link there for the article and you can follow along and, you know, yell at your phone, yell at your computer if you agree or disagree um, on those points. But let's just, you know, just dive right into it. I mean, first of all, the first point that they um, 
provide is cigars are a natural and artisanal product. Now, I know a lot of people out there are just going, well, duh, you know, it's tobacco, so of course it's natural. But when you really think about it, though, a cigar is, there, there, is, there are no additives to it, nothing. It is just the natural tobacco, you know, from seed to stick. It's all natural. They don't add anything to it. Cigarettes, of course, you know, you add tar and nicotine and all the crap that's going to kill you. But in this instance, it's just, yeah, it's na- all the tastes are naturally occurring. They're not adding any byproducts. When you taste a woodsy taste or you taste spice, you are at that the tobacco is actually providing that there are no additives to it. There's nobody, you know, who brings the tobacco out in the fields and then sprinkles some cinnamon on it and, you know, shake it off. And, you know, now you've got hints of cinnamon. And I just had a thought right now. And you know, there are probably people that believe that's how they get the spices into, into cigars that they actually do add it to it, but they don't. So you just had a thought. Yeah. When I said cinnamon, I shouldn't have said cinnamon. No, you shouldn't have said cinnamon anyway. <laughs> and, and, you know, I I chafe a little bit at the word artisanal because it sounds very uppity. Elitist. And I'm not about that, but it truly is. There's no other way around it, even though I chafe at it and I don't like it. There's no other way around it. That is what a a cigar is. And if you think about it, um, your cigar rollers are not just regular people. Let's face it. They are artisans. They are craftsmen and craftswomen. They make the cigar what it is. They take the raw leaf, shape it, roll it, and make it so you can enjoy it. Now, I hearken to remember, I think it was a couple of years ago on our way to um, Reno, and we went to breakfast, and afterwards on the way to Reno, we had two cigars that were the one, some of the last cigars that were rolled by Maria Sierra. Correct. And that was um, Castro, uh, Fidel Castro's personal roller, and unfortunately she um, began to get Parkinson's, and I don't know if she's still with us or not. No, sadly she passed away in 2018 at the end of the year. So, um, you know, she was one of the best, as far as I'm concerned, probably the best cigar roller. I have not had the pleasure of meeting her, but I have smoked a lot of the cigars that were rolled by Maria Sierra. Most importantly, um, the most notable one she's famous for, aside from being Castro's personal roller under the uh, Cuban regime was the Goldie. Oh yeah, by La Polina, and it was twenty five thousand cigars a year. She personally hand rolled all of them for their December release. And if you can just imagine smoking something like, I mean, let's be let's be real honest here. The taste doesn't change necessarily. You know, a comp. You know, you know, if you put beside a competent roller and a Maria Sierra um, roller. You know, you're going to get the same hints and notes. It's just the thought that the um, the effort and the skill to roll this cigar. And we go back to the whole natural and artisanal product. I mean, blending is a challenge because you're dealing with a natural product that no two tobacco leaves are going to be the same. Not at all. You know, you've got to you know be concerned about consistency. If you've ever, you know, 
if right now, and you know, if you have the opportunity, if you're in a shop or you're at home and you happen to have a box or let's just say even more than one cigar, pull both, you know, pull the cigars out and take a good hard look at them. And they look pretty consistent, but do you understand the challenge of, you know, the consistent color for a product that, you know, that constantly changes nature constantly changes you know each individual tobacco leaf is different but somehow they get that same color and lined up in your box or you look at the two um, sticks or three sticks you have and you can see subtle differences but they're overall consistent and that's an incredible thing and i think another thing we should note too on on because it ties in with with what you just spoke about is and the artisanal thing is the fact that we think of a cigar year over year, they don't change. The flavor is consistent, everything's the same. Do you know that the master blender, well, you and I do, but do you know the master blender has to reblend the cigar every year because of the natural differences in the tobacco year to year during the growing season? They do. Now, tell me that's not artisan skill right there. Exactly. I mean, it's just a crazy skill. And when you really think about it, and again, when I first, you know, read this, you know, started to read this article, I kind of, you know, just looked at it like, oh, whatever. But when you start reading and really start thinking about it, how incredible this product that we enjoy is, it's just amazing, which goes over to the second point. Now, you know, this whole, you know, they say 200 pairs of hands. I'm like, come on, man. I mean, that's anecdotal, but you know, I think to get the point across that, you know, several hands handle a cigar. That cigar you're holding right now, because I'm pretty sure everybody who's listening to this is probably smoking a cigar. I don't think that's a stretch that, you know, we're talking about, you know, from, you know, seed to stick. We say that a lot, you know, and, you know, starts out in the greenhouse, you know, before it goes into the field. So it's babied a little bit to, you know, get some growth into it. And then once it gets some growth, you take it out to tobacco fields, you know, you're curing it, you're fermenting it. I mean, it's just, there's so, there's so many steps involved. It's not like, um, I live in California, so I can say it. And actually, no, I'm not going to say it. (laughs) Well, there's a cliffhanger there, Scott. Oh, big time. I'm going to keep my mouth shut on that one. But you know, with certain, let me put it this way, with certain plants, it's not quite as involved. It's hard work, but it's not as involved as a cigar because you are so concerned with consistency. Dude, you don't have to belittle the wine industry like that. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, me and my 400 bottles of wine. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of a session there, too. So, <laughs> you know, if you go back to listening to um, one of our previous episodes, it's a two-parter from Seed to Smoke, my brother's venture to the JRE tobacco uh, plantation in uh, Honduras. He actually got to see the whole process from the greenhouse to the cigar rolling factory to shipping out to the United States. And he would agree with us, not that he's here with us right now because he's asleep, but uh, he would agree with us that it's, the 200 is probably an anecdotal number, but there are, I would say, easily 50 to 75 people that touch each cigar, uh, each tobacco leaf from beginning to end. And it, it, it really highlights the fact that they're group efforts. Just like we l- talk about camaraderie with the brothers and the sisters of the leaf, 
it's the same way with the with the um, production part of it. They're all a team. They're all working together. They're all uh, making it making a great product. Yeah, and then we have to consider time too because all of this stuff takes time. I mean, even if we take out the aging factor, which can take years to age the tobacco. But you're talking about, you know, curing it, um, fermentation, drying it on drying racks, and then aging it, and then you have to rehydrate it, you know, via doing some misting to rehydrate it, and then um, take the stem out of the tobacco. Then you're rolling it and, you know, sorting them out for color, which we go back to the whole consistency thing. And then you age it a little bit more, and then you got to band it, bundle it, and, you know, send it out to the consumer. I mean, all this stuff takes a huge amount of time, a lot of effort. You're you're investing a lot of time and effort in creating this cigar. And I think it's celebrated, too, because I don't know a cigar smoker that doesn't appreciate the work that goes into the sticks that we enjoy. Definitely, definitely. Now, let's just talk about fermentation for a minute, because I don't want to just throw words out there for everybody. And you just want, you know, like I say, we want to get into the weeds on some things every now and then, you know, and the whole, you know, fermentation happens in alcohol, and it also happens in cigars. And it's basically converting the sugars to alcohol via yeast. Now, that's for alcohol. Yeah, that's for alcohol. I was about to say, wait a minute. No, no, because that kind of, you know, contradicts the whole natural product but you know that's for alcohol but in cigars it's a microbial fermentation breaking down the leaf like through water pressure and oxygen so we're still not adding anything to the tobacco we are just using water and oxygen to um, encourage that fermentation and believe it or not you actually use a little heat too because the bundles um, there's a fancy word for those but forgive me I don't know what it is right this second but the these when they're fermenting the leaves they're stacked in a very particular way on a pallet if you will a thermometer is shoved into it they're kept at constant humidity misted with water and every so often typically a week or so at a time it's labor intensive they unstack the pallet restack the tobacco again in different positions put the thermometer back in more water and continue to go and this process did the did I miss it in the article? Did it say how long the fermentation process can take? You know what? It does. I didn't catch it. I just know they do the ferment uh, fermentation to improve the taste of the cigar. That's one of the things they do, uh, um, as well as aging. But I didn't catch that part. But let's talk about aging for a second and the importance of the aging. Um, the reason why a um, the tobacco is aged is to get rid of the um, green notes, if you will. The, yeah. um, you know, tasting more of a grass. Now, yeah, grass. There you go. They say um, vegetal, but I think grass is a much simpler if word. You, if you've ever smoked um, a, um, help me, Scott. Oh, geez. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's your brother's favorite. My brother's favorite cigar. So they're green, a candela that Thank just you. came to me. So if you've ever smoked a candela cigar or consequently, um, Lars Teton makes ones with cigars that are not always um, completely fermented and completely aged out. So they do um, taste a little bit like smoking fresh cut grass. Or in some cases, um, if people are fans of this, then that's their, their prerogative. But green tea ice cream reminds me a lot of, of um, 
a Candela cigar or an, uh, one that has not been aged. I truly thought you were going to say somebody's problem. <laughs> we talked about the green tea, but anyway. <laughs> but anyway, you know, the agent's done by the manufacturer. And, you know, we as consumers also um, age our cigars. Um, liken it to what we were talking about yesterday when I um, liberated some Cubans out of Jamaica. And I got two boxes of the um, Cohiba Lancero. Yes. And um, the one box smoked beautifully and gave one to our buddy Roy. And, you know, he had to let it sit for a little bit because they were tasting a little young. I think they, you know, that same kind of, I guess, green notes, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell the difference, but Roy has a real sensitive palate. But he said he let those things sit for about six months to about nine months. And he said they smoked beautifully. Yeah. You know, so aging's good but you got to be careful not to overage though in fact that is a it is a common problem um and it's one of the things that we we often discuss in our own home lounge where we smoke at is how long is too long what happens the longer the cigar sits the more the flavors marry and mellow in one case uh, a cigar that i really liked in the initial purchase i ended up buying Mm, 10 bundles and by the time i got to the last two they didn't taste the same anymore the taste changed over the two and a half years it took me to smoke them all so it it, there is a difference you know the manufacturer ages to get rid of unwanted flavors and particularly the ammonia flavor which is very unpleasant and then when we set it down in our humidors if they sit for long periods of time they continue to age particularly if you take it out of cello. Yeah, one of the other things um, with the um, aging, you know, people think you can save a cigar by way of aging it, and that just does not work. You know, it'll wind up just tasting bitter and old. Now, not saying that this particular cigar tasted bitter and old, but the one thing you've got to um, do is smoke this particular brand right away it's the cohiba bhk 52 yes you do and that is a hell of an expensive box if you have the privilege to smoke one i i highly recommend it but you know it's not one of those boxes you want sitting in your humidor for a long period of time i think they probably got and i i'll dare to say it's about a one-year shelf life so if you haven't smoked them within a year um do some smoke them so if you got some smoke them now well, yeah, because the ones, the last ones that you and I smoked out of that box you brought home, it was probably a little over a year or so. It just they lost so much depth of flavor that it was, yeah. it was just not not as pleasant. It wasn't a bad cigar by any means. It just petered out. Yeah, the the notes that you love in the beginning were gone. Yes. So let's talk about the anatomy of a cigar. I know a lot of people know this, but for some of our newer um, cigar smokers, let, let's just talk about you know, that real quick, or not so quick. Not so quick. You know, let's talk about the wrapper. This is the most expensive portion of the cigar, you know, by way, if you look at it upon per pound, you know, and that is the most expensive part, and one of the more important parts is the wrapper. Now, what you guys may not know is when you're looking at wrapper leaf, which is the exterior cigar that you see. Yes, it's the most expensive. Anybody care to guess why? No, No, Greg, tell us why. 
Yeah, messed up my setup, but that's okay. <laughs> so the biggest thing with the wrap relief, the reason for the expense uh, is, first of all, it must be perfect. No blemishes, no water spots, no sunburns, no nothing, no holes, tears, anything. It has to be absolutely perfect, and not every leaf that comes off every plant will meet that stringent quality standard, so it becomes very expensive to get. Secondly, and the article mentions this, but not not as much as I would like because I think it's more of a personal belief for myself rather than anything else. I think having taken a cigar apart and smoked the different pieces separately, I thought that I got the most flavor out of the wrapper leaf. You okay. know, the filler, which we'll get to in a minute, is pretty neutral. So your 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 flavor is coming from the binder and the filler. I mean the binder and the wrapper. I was about to say, yeah. The wrapper basic um, excuse me, the binder is basically the tobacco that can't make it as a wrapper. Correct. So um does you know it's more of an appearance thing it's not that it's bad tobacco it's just more of an appearance thing because of course you want to put your best foot forward so of course the wrapper is going to be smooth of quality no holes looking pretty so it's sitting there pretty in that box or you know pretty when you walk into the humidor and look at it nice consistent and that we go back to the consistency of the cigar Absolutely. Or cigars, that is. Yeah, and since we're on consistency, can we can we take a break for a second here? Let's. We're both about halfway into our Wild Hunter, so I'm interested to see your hear your thoughts on that Maduro. I'm still enjoying it. The flavors, it's a very consistent, flavorful cigar. It's the, I'm getting the same notes. I'm getting the woodsy notes. So, you know, think it, it's quite nice. Like I said, this could be a go-to a, a, or an ever-so-often I'm I'm really enjoying it. Now I know um in mine I'm getting the same thing with with his. Um the one thing I've noticed in the natural because it's more my palate profile is uh you get more of a the flavor will intensify as you get through the cigar. So I'll be curious to see as we get to the end of the podcast what you think. Okay. Back to our regularly scheduled program. All right. Now and um you know going back to the binder, it helps the burn of the cigar. You know, so, you know, a good bind, you know, a good burning binder will help the um, filler burn more evenly. It also helps um, because if you think about it, uh, there's one cigar line out there. You're either a fan of it or you're not. And that's Le Fleur Dominicon. Their wrapper leaf, their maduring process is so good. It creates a very oily, um, very stiff very, very dark and strong wrapper leaf. And as Scott was saying, this is exactly case in point. The binder that they use helps to keep that wrapper leaf lit. It is so oily that it will not burn. So it's very inconsistent. But thanks yeah. God to the binder, you get these beautiful cigars. Right. Now that brings us to the filler. Now, this is the portion of the cigar where the cigar maker creates... This is when, you know, you'll get cigar makers, um, Rocky, who I've said a million times is like a mad scientist when it comes to creating um, different flavors. He just has a gift for bringing the different profiles together. And, you know, where it is, is, you know, where he creates that is in the filler. I mean, you can mix regions of tobacco within that filler um, to create more flavor. And um, just a fun fact, the foot of the cigar is where the 
filler is most visible visible yeah it's where you can see it and right. I, I i i truly think that this is where they get the most creative and there is a video out there taken here in the shop when hamlet parades was here and to give you a short retrospect of this rather long video of him explaining when they're rolling the cigars, they're taking the filler tobaccos um, of different regions and different areas, uh, different countries sometimes. And believe it or not, the way the leaf grows affects the flavor profile. For example, if you think of the leaf shape, picture that in your mind. You have a stem end and you have the other end. Okay, It is more mild toward the top of it and the leaf gets stronger as you get closer to the stem end. I don't know why, but that's just how tobacco is. So Hamlet was explaining to us one day while he was here that if he wants a cigar to start out smooth and creamy and end powerfully, then they will make sure that the tobacco in the filler is laid in that same fashion. They will use the front part of the leaf, the middle part of the leaf, and the end, the stem end, pardon me, goes into the toward more toward the cap of the cigar so you get that stronger intense flavor consequently if he wants a smoother cigar all the way through they may leave the stem end out if he wants something that is strong consistently through then they'll make sure they lay it to where the stem end comes out to throughout the whole cigar so that filler is so important not only to the flavor profiles that you're going to pick up but the strength profile as well yeah i totally agree with that that's yeah that's interesting. Now, um, let's get into, um, real quick, let's get into cutting and lighting a cigar. I mean, if you've had any experience in cutting and lighting, just, I think this section segment was just, you know, um, tips on how to cut and light. And, you know, let's just talk about the types of cuts. You know, you've got your straight cut, which is by far my favorite. You I have know, to agree with you on that. You know, they have the punches where you just punch a small um, hole into the cigar and bring the smoke out that way. They have V cut, which cuts a channel in the, the, the cap of the cigar. Right. Um, you know, there are also, um, different kind of, uh, punches aside from the single round, which is a round hole that can be anywhere from a quarter to a half inch in diameter. They also make, I do not know what they're called. I dropped the ball on this one, but, um, it almost looks like a stamp with three to six prongs out the bottom of it that you just push into the foot of the cigar, or I'm sorry, into the, the cap of the cigar, and it punches three to six holes in it, and you smoke through those. So there's plenty of different options for cutting it. I've never seen that. I'd love to, I'd love to see that. I'll see if I can order one. Um, okay. One of the Facebook groups that I follow, um, I believe it was lewis that got me into that one the brothers and sisters of the leaf okay um there's several guys that use those and they're beautifully ornate they're very pretty so it, it's something we should look into okay yeah i'm looking forward to that i think the short trip to grandma's house though is whatever cut you're doing um whatever implement you're using make damn sure it's sharp mm -hmm. because uh, many a times and i've got a whole bunch of um straight cutters laying around my house and you know, you can tell when it has outlived its usefulness. I just don't have the heart to throw it out. Is when you go to cut it and it like squeezes your um, cap. And you'll hear, you literally hear an audible pop. Yep. And you're like, your heart breaks at that point. 
Yeah, the open um, end cutters are not something I'm fond of, especially for new cigar smokers, because you tend to take more than the cap off. Yeah, we we advocate. In fact, it's what we carry most of the time for our personal cigar cutter is a closed cap. It only takes an eighth of an inch off the cigar. Beautiful cut every time. Yep, you just got to make sure it's sharp. Oh, yeah. Because those things will get dull. A lot of them, you know, talk to your tobacconist um, where you get it or read carefully if you're going to buy it online. A lot of them are self-sharpening, which just means opening and closing it a few times to keep the blade sharp. Yeah. Now, um, where you're real susceptible, and I've been smoking for over 20 years, but um, torpedoes are always a challenge for me because I like to draw a lot of smoke out, which is why I enjoy, you know, um, non-torpedo cigars. Not saying that um, I haven't had a torpedo or two, but it's just that little narrow end, and I find that I cut too much off because I'll cut a tiny bit off, and it's just a, you know, small channel for the smoke, and I just feel like I'm, you know, sucking through with a, you know, sucking a frozen milkshake, and then I start cutting more off and more off, and then, you know, now you're, you know, unwrapping the cigar pretty much so i actually have a tip for our our torpedo smoking friends out there one of the biggest things that was taught to me and because i like scott i am not a fan of the torpedo doesn't mean i won't smoke them but for this and i don't like them for the same reasons he iterated but if you take if you'll imagine with me in your mind you have your torpedo cigar sitting upright torpedo pointing to the ceiling put your your cutter at a 45 degree angle and make your cut on that 45-degree angle because oh, it opens go. up a wider cut um, and gives you it will give you that large opening you're looking for to get the right amount of smoke. Okay, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, but don't cut too far because you'll yeah. take the cap off and then you're going to be screwed. And you're just unraveling, you know, which is never fun. Um, as far as lighting, the, you know, lighting the cigar, um, this one... This is subjective. This is very subjective. I know some people like a single flame. Some people use um, matchsticks, non-sulfur matches. And and there's you over there with that freaking blowtorch you got. That's, you know, relatively speaking, it's not so... I mean, we had one in the shop that was basically we could use to make creme brulee. (laughs) That dragon dragon torch that we had a while ago, yes. Yeah, holy crap. It was like the the width of two freaking soda cans... With this implement on top, I mean, we could spot weld with that thing. It looked like a large caliber handgun. <laughs> the whole but, oh, go ahead, I, I got you. No, no, I was gonna say um, when we go into when we go into talking about your cutting and your lighting, you know, do what is best for you. You know, we talked about the different cutters of what you guys, and it's definitely what you guys like. Don't ever let anyone tell you you're wrong because you like it a certain way. Period. Lighting, however, there's a couple different ways to do this. And I think you were getting into that. There's a match. Yeah. Please don't use regular kitchen matches. They contain sulfur, and you will taste it. It's disgusting. There is a torch, and there's a soft flame lighter. And they all have their purposes. They all have their uses. I'll be the first one to tell you, I am not a match person for the plain and simple fact I am not a patient man. <laughs> and with a match, you're really very carefully burning, and you're supposed to do this with a single match, and there again, I am not a patient man. You, the, you have the match at a 45-degree angle head down, so if you're not quick enough, not only are you going to burn your fingers, but you know, you're gonna, 
you're going to get the, you know, you have to get the cigar lit and toasted and be able to draw on it in that single match to, to light your cigar. And for me, I've never been able to get a full consistent light on a cigar unless I'm smoking a small ring gauge, Lancero or smaller. So I tend to avoid them. Yeah, I don't really use matches either. It's not a matter of the patience. It's just a matter of the flame because, you know, I want to sit back and relax. I don't want it to be like I'm trying to defuse a bomb. I have a set amount of time to do it. Otherwise, I'm screwed. So, you know, you know, toasting should be a relaxing affair, which is why I use the um, torch, something that's just consistent fuel into the flame. And the whole idea of toasting is not quite putting the flame right onto the um, foot of the cigar. You're just kind of like slowly just roasting it, um, just twisting it around a little bit, just getting a little bit of flame on it. And it's a skill. It's a, you know, it, it's, it's a fun practice. to do. Yeah, you got to practice. And um, the thing you don't want to do is just put flame right on it. And I'm guilty of this sometimes when I just, I, I just want to sit down and smoke. I'll just put a flame right to it and just, yeah, and just light it up. But you're burning the tobacco. You're creating this. Acrid odors and flavors. Thank you. I, I was just, I was like, I don't think I can even pronounce the word. I'm going to sound like an idiot. You, that, that's exactly what it does because you're basically incinerating the tobacco and you're going to get that flavor, drawing it, drawing that, um, that taste, you know, through the cigar channel into your taste buds. And it's never pleasant. And, and, you know, to, to back up for a minute on, on something he was saying, when you're, when we're talking about toasting, literally it's warming. So in a, in a, um, you'll be able to hear his torch in a, in a, in a ideal situation, you're rotating the cigar slowly in your fingers. And we will put out a video on this, even though there are thousands online already, but we'll put our own spin on it. And you're heating up the foot of that cigar. So the flame is barely touching. Torch lighters have a, a, um, conical shaped flame. So you want the very tip just barely touching. And again, this is a process. It's meant to be relaxing, and patience is quite necessary. But once you get it toasted and warm, that's when you bring it into your mouth, take a few puffs, and just feather that flame until you get a burst of flame from the tip of your cigar. And you should be golden, glowing, and red on the foot of your cigar, and you're good to go. And that's just the, the beauty of, of, of cigar smoking, I think. And, and one of the quotes... Um, let me bring my pad here so I don't disappear on you, that I have to laugh about. This is something um, that I thought was quite amusing in the article that Scott and I were reading in Cigar Aficionado. It says, and I quote, While we certainly appreciate that wind resistance and surgical control of a torch flame, your goal in lighting a cigar is to light the cigar, not to weld pipe. <laughs> oh, that is so true. And, um, you know, now that we've gotten into the lighting of the cigar, the actual smoking of a cigar. Now, we all know better than this, but I think we've all been guilty of it hot at boxing. one time. Yes. Um, hot boxing a cigar. The cigar is meant to be smoked slowly. It's not a cigarette. You're not trying to puff through it. Um, usually people who hot box are, you know, you're time constrained. You grab a cigar and... You're thinking, oh, my God, I got to finish this. Puff, 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 puff. One, you're going to make yourself sick. Two, are you really enjoying it? So, you know, find a size 
when you've smoked for a while, you know how long a cigar is going to last you. Now, and Greg hearkens on this story a million times, me and a Lancero. Love this story. Yeah, me smoking a Lancero in about 20 minutes. Ruined it. Absolutely I ruined it. I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it more when I sat back and slowly, you know, just and smoked it cool and slow. You're not trying to incinerate it because the more air, of course, you're putting through that channel, the hotter it's getting. Mm-hmm. So you want to take breaks in between. And, you know, sometimes you take breaks a little too long and the cigar is going to go out on you. If you've heard me lighten this thing more than once, that's pretty much why. It also happens to be a problem where, you know, especially for the podcast, you're going to hear us lighting our cigars more often because... We're more focused on providing you guys quality content than our, than the cigar we're smoking. So some of these suffer terribly, but um, but not too much. No, but you know I'm going to say this um, from a cigar smoking standard. As I said with the cut and the light, your method is your preference. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you're wrong. We just said that, but here's the deal, okay? On average, you want to puff your cigar around once between every 30 seconds to a minute. The goal, as Scott said, is to keep it cool. The cooler it is, this is counterintuitive, I know, but the cooler it is, the less oils will be destroyed as they heat up and you get more flavor in the smoke that it produces. That being said, your speed on smoking your cigar is your preference. When I first started smoking cigars, I would burn through a cigar in under half an hour. I didn't know any better and had to be educated to slow down. That's when I really learned that there are flavor profiles that you miss. And all these um, aromas and things that we talk about, the cocoa, the, the woodsy, the pine, the cedar, you know, lamb, banana, and raccoon, whatever it is. If you if you have a consistent burn you're and a slow, cooler cigar when it's smoking you have more opportunity to pick up these these flavors and these nuances in the cigar. And it's really something that as you as you get that skill, you'll find you enjoy more. One of the things, though, also is, you know, let's just call it cigar psychology. The whole point of smoking a cigar is being able to sit down and take the time and relax. No matter what's going on, I mean, you know, this is a particularly stressful time of year for me work-wise, but to be able to sit down and slow everything down and just the exercise of consciously cutting, lighting, and smoking a cigar slows things down a little bit, or you're sitting back in a lounge or with a friend on your patio or what have you, just enjoying the smoke and enjoying the conversation and enjoying the process. You can't really get that when you hot box. No. But of course, you know, if you say you've got like a 30 minute lunch break and we actually have a seg, um, an episode on lunch break um, cigars, some real quality ones that you, if you have 30 minutes and you want to slow things down, I'm not going to break out of Churchill when I know I only have 30 minutes. I'll get a small cigar just to sit back and um, have a smoke, just something to relax for half an hour. And I'm not worried about, you know, oh my God, I'm leaving so much cigar because, you know, back in the day, what I, you know, do and, you know, some friends of mine would do is you'd smoke it, then you run out of time. And then it's like, okay, you leave it for later, which is, hey, you know what? As, as Larry would say, 
if that's your program, run your program, but it's not going to, you know, for me, it doesn't taste as good when you relight a cigar that's been lit and, you know, out, and then you're going to re-smoke it hours or the next day. It, it just doesn't work. So I'm going to jump onto this next topic here because I know you have very strong feelings about this particular subject. And this next point in the article is choosing your cigar wisely. Let me add my caveat before we go on to Rant Street here. I agree with everything Scott's going to tell you. You pick what you like. Don't let anyone else ever tell you you're wrong, with the exception of a few brands, which I'm not going to mention, but you know what I'm talking about. They sell them everywhere. They're funny flavored and stuff like that. But, you know. Stop. Anyway. (laughs) Please continue. I have an issue with the whole idea of choosing your cigar wisely. There are so many cigars out there, and I don't think you should get, especially new cigar smokers, don't get pigeonholed into one cigar. And this is just advice because I did it when I first started smoking cigars. There, were, there was one particular cigar um, brand, and it was a house brand, that I smoked consistently for probably about, I'd say, four years before I branched out. And when I finally branched out, I found out how much I was missing. And it was actually thanks to the um, owner of the fine shop we're recording in now, who took me on an exploration of different sizes, different flavors. And I cannot emphasize this um, enough. Support your local tobacconist. Because it's a, it's a wealth of information. You're going to find out things that you hadn't even thought of, even as an experienced cigar smoker. You know, I encourage people to look into brands that they hadn't looked into before. If you smoke one particular cigar, ask the question. It's like, okay, well, what other brand has this flavor profile? Or, you know, as every now and then I'll walk into here and go to Craig and say, show me something interesting. Just something off the beaten path. This whole choose your cigar wisely, you know, I think it it inhibits people from exploring. So I totally don't agree with it, you know, because, okay, so what? You get a cigar that you don't like or is not quite in your wheelhouse. So what? You've learned something. You've learned something. Next cigar. Now, I go back to, you know, um, I did not used to smoke Maduros. I was terrified of them, afraid of them because their strength and power. And if it wasn't for finally saying, what the hell, why not? When I was offered one by a good friend of ours, I would have never had my eyes open to what a strong cigar could provide. So I agree with everything Scott has said. You need to explore. Don't think about it as a wisdom game. Think about it as you are Indiana Jones. You're exploring the temple of cigars. Try everything. Don't be afraid of anything because there are 7,000 plus lines, manufacturers, and brands out there. Your local tobacconist isn't going to carry them all. He's going to carry, he or she will carry what they like. But nonetheless, get out there and explore. I have found some truly amazing cigars just by going into to the, the local shop here at Tobacco Republic and asking Craig or the owner, as Scott says, show me something new. Show me something interesting. I just got done smoking an XYZ. I just got done smoking the Wild Hunter. 
what do you think my next cigar should be? And don't don't shy away from their recommendation. Jump in and have a good time. Now, one thing, I'm going to put an asterisk on what I just said. And it may sound a little contradictory, but I don't care. My show, I don't care. <laughs> um, as far as choosing a cigar, be aware of the strength. I'm not saying don't explore it, but just be aware of your strength. And, you know, as you um, get more experience in cigar smoking, you know you don't want to smoke a Maduro on an empty stomach or, say, a chisel on an empty stomach. Not in the slightest. Yeah, you will be sicker than a dog. So, you know, just be conscious of that. And, you know, if, you know, you're not feeling a, you know, a strong cigar, you want a Connecticut, ain't no shame in it. I do it all the time. Or if I've got a nice, you know, peaty scotch, I will, you know, pick a Maduro for it. Is I want those I want those strong bold flavors. You know, you're not going to want the same strength of cigar every single time. But you know that doesn't inhibit you from exploring. But you know, don't you know go in and you know I want something like a chisel and you're not in the mood for a chisel. There's so many different um, strains and brands to explore. You know, by all means do that. But you know, just be aware of the strength and ask about. Don't be afraid to ask the strength. You know, if they, you know, if your tobacconist or a friend recommends a cigar to you and says, hey, you know what? You need a chisel. You know, well, how strong is that? And when everyone starts snickering and laughing, you know, um, ah, I think Grand Habano, Connecticut sounds like a plan. I think that's a great idea because that's one of the that's one of the funniest and cruelest jokes to play on a new cigar smoker is to give them an LFD product. And the chisel's not even the worst out of the lineup for strength. The El Jaco is the strongest one the tobacco republic carries and it is i wonder if i can say this oh well my show it's an ass kicker of a cigar in terms of power if you have not eaten well and are not ready for it don't drive and i am not joking yeah that one will set you back from what i hear i gotta try that one day though i have yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that will be, I'm going to take a lesson from what I just said. Let I me think drive I, when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just spend the night in the shop. I'll bring a sleeping bag and just curl up in a ball in the back on the couch. It'll be wow. like my wife's mad at me and I'll just curl up on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about, and this is what um, Cigar Aficionado there, um, ninth point is about Cuban cigars. And while I agree with them, you know, the whole argument about um, Cuban cigars being the best cigars ever, I mean, it's like basically there are certain Cubans you smoke and you will see the face of God. The sublime comes to mind. Uh, Yeah, definitely the sublime. But also um, my go-to, my go-to Cuban is the Partagas Series D number four. And that is by far one of my favorite cigars. Whenever I travel abroad, I will pick. I will definitely pick up a box from a tobacconist that I trust, a Casa Habano store, or duty free. I will definitely pick up um, the you know Partagas line. But understand, a lot of people have not had that exposure to Cuban cigars, and that's okay. If you have the opportunity to smoke a Cuban, by all means, you know. Enjoy it. And one of the curious things we were talking about the other day was I would love to get a newbie cigar smoker or even a couple of experienced ones in here and, you know, take the bands off the cigars and see if they can really tell a difference. I mean, this might have been a big deal in the, a huge deal in the 70s, 
But, you know, after, you know, Castro kicked people out and people got the hell out of Cuba, including a lot of um, cigar um, artisans, rollers and such, who, you know, went to the Dominican Republic, the United States, Nicaragua, Honduras. Honduras. Um, Ecuador. Yeah, you are, you know, getting guys with, you know, who are smuggling out Cuban seed or, you know, even experimenting, you know, with the Dominican and Nicaraguan seed and producing some quality product. So it's, you know, while Cubans are good, I'm, well, I'm not going to even lie. Cubans are great. Absolutely. But I think the remaining cigar portion of the world, the Honduras, the Ecuador, the Dominican Republic, the Nicaraguan, they really have come a long way since those early days of Cubans being the premier. And a lot of them, many cigars, in fact, for it, a snippet at a $10 price point versus 60 plus I would put against a Cuban nowadays because they have the warmth, the, the umami, the, the, um, the depth, depth and, and flavor profiles that you're looking for. And they're not the Cuban price tag. And don't get me wrong. That man to my right today spoiled my ass by getting me, getting me into Cuban cigars. However, that has not changed my desire for anything else. My favorite cigar has nothing to do with Cuban, with Cuba at all. It's actually a company out of Geneva, Davidoff. Oh God, yeah, Davidoff is incredible. By th- the way, little plug here for Tobacco Republic. We're the only Davidoff lounge in the Northern California area, not within the Bay Area. Come check us out. That's very, very true. Now, I think the whole Cuban arg- um, argument that I'm getting into here, and it's, I won't call it a word of warning, just a piece of advice. Cubans are good. Cubans are great. But don't be so desperate to get a Cuban where you fall into these traps. Um, one in particular, you know, one in particular, you know, you got some guy saying, hey, I got a deal on Cubans, and he opens up his trunk. Run away. It, it well depends on who it is. It, the old story goes: if you don't know furry, know your furrier. If you don't know wine, know your vintner. If you don't know Cubans, know your tobacconist. You know, so they can guide you along. If you have, you know, someone gets a deal, that's the worst one. It's like, hey man, I got a deal on some Cubans, and especially when you travel abroad, particularly in Mexico, they're selling cohibas on the beach in little glass boxes. Um, Cohiba has never made a glass box. Those are counterfeit. They might be okay, maybe even good cigars, but you're not smoking Cubans. Not at all, not in the slightest. And that's one of the biggest things. Cohiba is the most counterfeited brand out there. And some of the fakes, to be honest with you, are damned good. I was given a uh, a Bahique, which was my first experience to that cigar, first exposure to that cigar. But it turns out, it wasn't real. That being said, it was still an absolutely amazing cigar. Know what you're getting. Get what you know. Right. I mean, pay them. I mean, if you're abroad, um, pay the money. You know, if you know, go to find out who a reputable tobacconist is that sells Cubans and go to that. Do not be on the search for a deal because you're going to be disappointed or you're going to be smoking something um, that you, you know, you don't know what you're smoking, basically. And to give you guys an example, I don't mind telling what I paid for my box. So 
in that beautiful box that that Scott got for me, the Lanceros. It's a twenty five count box um, of Cohiba Lanceros, and I paid five and a quarter for it. I don't regret it in the slightest. I have six remaining from five years ago. I think we did that, and they're still as delicious and wonderful as when I first got them. So, don't be afraid of it. Just be aware of what you're getting. Right. And there's ways, you know, getting boxes. Um, Casa Habanos um, on their website, you can put in the ID number to the box because all their boxes are numbered and they will tell you what the box should be. Yes. The serial, serial number helps a lot. Right. And there's actually a book in particular about Cuban cigars. And I want to talk about that when we get the opportunity. And it talks about... Um, authentic and fake Cuban boxes. I mean, down to the stamp placement. You know, it'll tell you where the stamp should be, the sticker should be, and a place where you can look up the number of the box and it should be consistent. So if you think you're getting a box of Pajiques, put that number in there and it tells you it's to a Trinidad box, you know that, you know, it's a fake. Yep. Because, you know, I mean... People are more sophisticated now and, you know, counterfeiters are very, you know, again, um, counterfeiters are very sophisticated and, you know, learned and they've learned how to, you know, do the subtleties, if you will, to make it look authentic. As with everything, I mean, down to purses, shoes, I mean, cigars, you know, alcohol. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, so off our Cuban ramp, let's just talk about Price versus quality. Now we get to rant. Now I get to rant. So, so price versus quality is a myth. It is the biggest joke, in my opinion, on the planet because a cigar that is fifty dollars is just as good as a cigar that is ten dollars. That's just the way it is, folks. You can't base a cigar's quality on its price tag at all. For example, there are ones in in our shop here that are the house cigars. They're called yardsticks. They are wonderful cigars at three and a half dollars a piece. The bundle's like 60 bucks. You know, I haven't had one yet. I've got a bundle that's been sitting in my humidor for probably four years. You are going to be quite pleasantly surprised, sir, because um, I found some bundle cigars that I had bought and that I had bought, and, wow, that I had bought. <laughs> Not enough coffee or breakfast yet. Um, yes, we're both smoking on an empty stomach. Don't recommend doing that, by the way. So I bought a bundle uh, from Tobacco Republic several years ago. They're Cameroon yardsticks. That is actually one of my favorite leaves, is Cameroon. And I lost them. They got buried in my humidor. I came back to them and found them. I'm like, oh, wow. And smoked one. And we go back to the aging conversation real quick of, yeah, they continue to age in the humidor. In this case, it was not a bad thing. They were mellow, creamy, wonderfully smooth, no bite to it at all. It just became a very, very pleasant cigar. So I think you'll be pleasantly surprised um, if you try one of those because the yardsticks by themselves are great cigars. Um, And here we're back to our price versus quality argument. You know, what are you using those for? There are two schools of thought. Scott and I subscribe to both of them. First school of thought. And the reason I know the reason Scott has them, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak for him for a second here. But, Be my guest. You know, I have, and I do the same thing. 
everyone who knows me knows I'm a cigar smoker. Everyone who knows me knows my collection is extensive, and some of them are rare and never to be seen again. If you come to my home and I'm going to smoke, I will always offer somebody a cigar. I'm not going to smoke in front of them without offering them. It's just rude. It's not part of the brotherhood. That's the way it is. But if you're a new smoker and you've never smoked before, chances are it's going to be either a yardstick or it's going to be um, one of the rocky edge lines because let's face facts, folks. If you're a brand new smoker and you've never smoked it before and you're going to get you know half an inch, an inch into that cigar and decide it's not for you, I'd rather you put down a 3 to $10 cigar than one of my rare ones that I'm not able to get anymore. It's just, it's just, you know, that's the way it is, to be honest with you. I learned that way, too. I started smoking less expensive cigars and worked my way into the obsession I have now. There's another school of thought that goes along with that as well. Scott and I smoke a lot, and we smoke as we do different different our different hobbies. Um, we were over at a friend of ours, Chainsaw's Place, a couple of months ago, fishing in his pond. Now, were we smoking premium cigars that are $25? Not a chance. This is where the yardsticks come into fact, and you have had a yardstick, by the way. Did I? Because those ones we were smoking there were my, my um, Fohibas that I had brought back from uh, CI in um, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's right. I yeah. did, and that was pretty good. They are. They're good cigars, and here's the whole basis of this particular point. Uh, I'm trying to make is, you know, when you're in a situation where you're fishing, you're working in the yard, you're doing something where the potential to damage that cigar is there, this is where the yardstick comes into play. And this is where the price versus quality argument goes out the bloody window. I am not naive enough to tell you that I do not want to damage my expensive cigars. I want to sit back, relax, and thoroughly enjoy those. But when I'm working in the yard... When I'm fishing, I want to smoke. I want an inexpensive cigar that if I drop that thing and step on it while I'm reaching for my fishing rod to land a fish, I haven't stomped on a $20 cigar. Plain and simple economics there. So that's that's my school of thought for the yardsticks. What, what do you think on that? Well, I think you've said it all, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, now, Greg was generous when he said that, you know, the new cigar smoker, his price range is 3 to $10. My, my rule is basically, you get a yardstick. <laughs> I, just period. I mean, and see if you enjoy that. If you enjoy that or you, you can get, if you get through the yardstick and you say, oh, you know, I'm having a good time. I like this. And you can tell if someone's having a good time. Um, one of my wife's friends um, was over at the house with her husband and her best friend and boyfriend were there. Now, uh, my wife's best friend's boyfriend, he was in the cigars. So we're sitting on my patio having scotch and cigars and laughing it up and having a good time. And, you know, the poor third friend's um, husband comes on out and says, oh, what are you guys doing? It's like, oh, we're just having a smoke. Come join us. We pour him a glass of scotch. We give him a stick. And it's a yardstick because, again, my rule is you do not get a, a pretty cigar if you're a noob. Nothing personal. Just it's just being practical. So, alas, he lights it. He smokes it. He's drinking the scotch. He has a smile on his face, but it's that uneasy smile 
where he's just like, uh, yeah, this, this is great. And you can see him turning green. I think his wife um, from the patio door actually saw him turning green and called him into the back into the house. And, you know, my buddy and I would just looked at each other and said, huh, well, not for everybody. No. And, and that's true. It's not always um, cigars are not for everybody, but I encourage people frequently to try these no matter what my one of my co-workers um her boyfriend scratch that her fiance smokes cigars on occasion with me and we're sitting out there we're playing dice at my house one night and i went michaela how about a cigar okay being her first time I, I said, okay, well, what would you like? Would you like something more fragrant, something more in, infused with flavors to it, or would you like a traditional cigar? And she goes, no. She goes, let me try an infused. Okay. So I go into my bag of tricks, and I pull out um, one of the few, because I have very little infused cigars anymore. I pulled out a acid blondie, cut it, lit it for her, got her going on it, and she gets about maybe half an inch into the cigar and sets it down. And what made me proud as a, as a cigar smoker is she looks over at me and she goes, that's not for me. Can I try a regular one? And I'm like, yes, you can. And I violated my own rule for the plain and simple fact of I know her very well and I know that she's going to want something better. So I go into my humidor again and I pull out an Oliva V. And if you've never tried one of those, I thoroughly recommend it. They're beautiful cigars. Oh, hell yeah. Um, very flavorful, very smooth, very creamy. There's no harshness to them at all. Ideal for starting someone new. Cut that, light it for her. She smoked the whole damn thing, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm not saying she's a frequent smoker, but every once in a while, she'll sit down with me and have a cigar. And she never could get in. She's never been able to get back into the infused because they just don't. It's not something she likes. Oh, that's wild. And it's actually one that I'd like to have her on the program eventually and talk about that story in particular and other things with her her rather short but but cigar journey. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that episode. And um, going on to the um, beaten track on that, one of the things we want to do um, on future shows is bring in regular cigar smokers of varying... Um, Skill levels. There you go. Is it a skill really, though? I mean, it's, I guess, for lack of a better word, let's just call it that. You know, we want to bring in um, experience new levels. There you go. Experience is a better word. Um, bring folks in with, you know, different, very, um, varying um, experience levels. You know, from the brand new cigar smokers starting out on their journey to the seasoned one and, um, you know, get their input because, you know, we can, I don't want to be the um, one to sit here and pontificate to you um, how cigar smoking should be. We want to share this experience with you. We want to bring people in of um, varying opinions and um, what their thoughts are, are and answer their questions. And, um, you know, for this show, what I would love for folks to do, if you're listening to it, is to reach out to us and give us an opinion, your opinion on the Cigar Aficionado article. I want you guys to speak on that, uh, what you got out of it, what you didn't get out of it, what, you know, was there something that was left out that you think was poignant? And and we do want that feedback. We want to be able to answer your questions. Scott and I do this for you guys. 
We want to help you along your cigar journey as we have been helped along our journey. So if you have questions, don't be afraid. If you go to our website, LumisCigarCartel.com, and you go to the Beyond the Humidor page, there is a, um, a note thing on the bottom where you can, it'll send us an email and, uh, you know, that we can respond back to you guys and we can talk to you guys. We want to talk to you. There's also Facebook. We are on Facebook, Loomis Cigar Cartel. And, uh, you know, join the cartel, become a member on there, interact with us and, uh, and uh, all of our friends that have joined us and, and fellow cigar smokers from across the country. And one of the things that, you know, we will always emphasize is supporting your local tobacconists and your brick and mortar. I know, um, you know, in some cases, you know, distance from a tobacconist or a lounge, um, you know, will have you ordering cigars online. But if you can find a local tobacconist, support them. Go into the shop and buy a stick or two or a box to keep the lights on because that's a part of the cigar smoking community. Um, It, you know... Folks who come in here, you know, we get the folks who come into the shop, they grab a stick and go, but the folks who stick around and enjoy each other's company, you know, laughing, telling jokes, telling stories, talking about their day. Lying. Yeah, that too. That's all we do in here, let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But, you know, we don't typically get political on this show, but let me say this. The reason why we believe the brick and mortar is so, so important is for the fact of... Um, many states, many cities, many counties are banning smoking, not only indoors, but outdoors as well. It is very, very important for you to stay active in your local community, your local cigar community, and support that brick-and-mortar lounge because Tobacco Republic is a wonderful place to smoke. If you're ever in the area, we're here. Come smoke with us. Uh, You know, we spend a lot of time up here, but they're writing legislation to make lounges go away to have a place to sit down and smoke and hang out with your friends and enjoy a good cigar. And it's important that you make sure those stores stay in business, their lights stay on, and we fight the good fight. It's just it's just a fact of, of the times we live in. But we, we kind of deviated from, from price and quality a little bit here. I want to circle back to that real quick. By because, all means. You know, as we were saying, neither of us agree with, with the article, you know, because... The quality of a cigar, I feel, has nothing to do with its price tag. The quality of the cigar has to do with everything about you. Do you enjoy it? If the answer is yes, then price is no option. My favorite cigar, as said, is a Davidoff. It's the Winston Churchill series in the Churchill size, 50 ring gauge by 7 inches. It is a wonderful, wonderful cigar. As you know, Scott and I live in California, where we have a 65% tax put on cigars off the top. There's an S-chip tax, which has to do with the cigar size, and there's another tax that goes into effect that I don't remember what it is. But it takes a cigar that over the hill in Reno would be $20 and brings it to a considerably larger amount over here. That being said, does that mean I don't support my local brick and mortar? Absolutely. I buy them all the time here because it's my favorite cigar. It's also expensive. I don't care. Price means nothing because the cigar is exquisite. As said, too, the Rocky Patel Edge Series, the Sumatra, the Habano, the Maduro, the Corojo, and the Light. They are wonderful, high-quality cigars at an affordable price point of less than $10. Doesn't make a difference. It's what you like and what you enjoy. And I think that's the biggest message we can give you is 
smoke what you like because that's the important part is your enjoyment. Hey, well, I think that's the cherry on top. Well, my smoke's down to the nub and my scotch glass is empty, so I think it's about that time. I want to thank our audience, and on behalf of Greg and myself, thank you for listening. Check us out at LumaCigarCartel.com. Like and share us on Facebook. Join the cartel and follow us on Instagram. Don't be a stranger. Drop us a line and let us, let us, let us know what you guys think. I'm Scott Robinson, and from all of us here at Beyond the Humidor, we look forward to chatting with you on our next episode. Until then, take care, and good smoke, good drink, and good life. <laughs>